Hello, I'm Mari Kirk, Director of Engagement at Impact at the USSC. Thank you for joining us on the USSC Briefing Room today. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're recording on today. The University of Sydney is located on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and future. This episode is the first in a series recorded following our Indo-Pacific Strategy Simulation in November 2023. This occurred right before our Sydney International Strategy Forum, and you may recognize some of the speakers from the panel discussions we released on this podcast. This episode features Dr. Michael Green, CEO of the United States Study Center, in conversation with Nobukatsu Kanahara, Executive Director of the Sasakawa Peace Foundation in Tokyo, Japan. We hope you enjoy. I'm Michael Green, CEO of the U.S. Study Center at the University of Sydney. I'm joined by uh, a longtime friend and colleague, Nobukatsu Kanehara, um, who has had a distinguished career in the Japanese foreign ministry um, as what would be uh, the equivalent of Deputy National Security Advisor um, under Prime Minister Abe Shinzo. Um, he is a master French chef and the author of a number of books on history and strategy and foreign policy. Um, welcome, Nobu. We're going to talk about the simulation exercise we just did with um, US, uh, Australian, and Japanese teams. Um, you were joined by Aki Nagashima, Nagashima Akihisa, uh, who, who is himself National Security Advisor in the DPJ and had other key posts uh, in Japan. And it was really very, very interesting for me as an observer. But before we get to the, the simulation and the lessons learned, um, maybe tell our audience about why you became a diplomat instead of a French chef, because I had your cooking and you were a master. So what got you interested in diplomacy and strategy? Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a very good question. I don't know exactly why I became diplomats, but the uh, Japan's post-war uh, politics was quite bizarre for me. We are born after uh, the economic expansion started, so we don't know the ideological clash between the leftists and the rightists. Uh, we don't know the imperial time. And so we thought the new era is, is, is opening to us. That was a hunch as, as a student, so I joined the foreign ministry. So when I've known you for a long time, and in the foreign ministry, um, I think it is accurate to say that you were in a group, um, perhaps inspired by former Vice Minister Kato Ryozo and others who were the realists, yes, the national security realists. But for most of your career, the mainstream in foreign ministry was, well, I think you could say liberal idealists or internationalists or civilian internationalists, but basically their preferred strategy for Japan was low risk. And you're part of a group that Abe picked up when he became prime minister to design a foreign policy strategy that that, that accepted more risk because Japan was in a much riskier environment. When you were coming up, were you aware of that in your own career, or did you did you um, did you follow people like Kato Ryozo's advice, or how did how did you navigate that sort of internal dynamic in the yeah, foreign ministry? Um, when I was born, Prime Minister was Grandpa Abe-san, Kishi-san, and before that, Prime Minister Yoshida. They chose they chose the Western camp. It was so difficult because. It's just after the war. We lost three millions in the war. And Yoshida said, United States is ally of Japan, he said. And it's just like Adenauer. And he chose the West. And Kishi, 
revised the security treaty that invited 100 million demonstrators, labor union activists. And after that, economic expansion started. Welfare state was realized. And then the LDP stopped talking about security seriously. They were a sort of free rider. And the leftists were always against, against Japan-US alliance, so they were very close to Moscow. And we felt it's something, something's bad with, with us. Look at French and British, there are labor union political parties, but they're in the West. But we are torn between East and West, and the, our security policy was penalized. But there are tightly united group inside the foreign ministry, like Ambassador Kato, who defended the Japan-US alliance in the most difficult time of the Cold War. And we are in that vein. When did you join the foreign ministry? 81. 81. So um, the 1980s, um, when uh, particularly Ronald Reagan was president in the U.S., Nakasone Yasuhiro was prime minister in Japan, that, you know, Reagan changed American strategy to um, not just passive containment, but rollback. The maritime strategy in the Western Pacific to actually allow the U.S. to horizontally escalate. The Soviets had been using the Trans-Siberian Railroad to horizontally escalate against the U.S. in the 70s forced the U.S. to pull forces away from Europe to give the Soviets an advantage there. Reagan reversed that on the Soviets and said, no, no, we're going to double down. We're going to increase our air and naval presence under the maritime strategy and force the Soviets to defend their Far East. And it would have been impossible without Japan because of geography, because of U.S. bases, because of the alliance. And that was Nakasone. Yes. And that's when you joined the foreign ministry. Yes. So you were right out of university. Were you aware that all of that was happening in the 1980s? Yeah, in 1980s, when I was in university, the famous article appeared of Uzawa Kobun sensei, he is an economist, he wrote the beginning of the right wing, the rise of right wing. He wrote that. I thought, no, we are just going back to realism. That's my, my hunch. And this, some bizarre sentiment that we are, we are going somewhere, somewhere wrong. And so we have to go back to realism. That's, that's pushed me into foreign ministry. And we are, I'm so, for me, it's always that just, just straight line I'm following. We have to go back to realism. And I saw Ambassador Kato, these people in the foreign ministry, and they educated me. I'm very, thank thank we are, I'm, I'm very thankful to him. So you've written about this, you've written about this uh, since you retired um, in several great books, mostly in Japanese though. <laughs> and in, in my own book, um, which I will advertise briefly called Line of Advantage, Japan's Grand Strategy in the Era of Abe Shinzo. There you have it. Um, uh, I was making the argument, mostly for an American or Australian or Western audience, that Abe's grand strategy is not a return to militarism. Oh. It's a return to realism. And I described how that tradition in Japanese strategy goes way back and often is very internationalist and cosmopolitan. And and and, and so you were part of that with uh, uh, Yachi Shotaro, your oh. boss at the NSC yes. with Abe and others. Um, is it your sense that, you know, you were in the minority in the 80s and the 90s maybe, but now it seems like, I mean, is there anybody left in the, is there anybody left on the left? Is there anybody no, still it's, advocating? It's a, it's a generational change, simply. Mm. In 1991, Soviet Union collapsed, and the Socialist Party Japan collapsed too. And they, so we had one third of the seats of the parliament was occupied by Japanese socialists. They're very close to Moscow. And they, they took us, the Japanese alliance supporters, as, a, as an enemy, but they evaporated. 1991. After that, we moved to realism one by one. We went to the peacekeeping operation in the United Nations. 
the Hashimoto-san, Obuchi-san, two big prime ministers, just said to Clinton, we can help Americans in contingency for logistic support. And then Koizumi sent our warships to India and Ocean to help American Afghan war. And Abe-san says, you have to, we have to use the collective self-defense, change constitution, constitutional, constitutional interpretation. We have to stand up with Americans to keep the peace stability in the region. So we are, we are moving towards the realism with the great prime ministers, Nagasone, Hashimoto, Obuchi, Aso, Abe. And Abe-san's, that's a climax, the constitutional debate of Abe-san. So what was the anti-mainstream? Kishi, Abe, and, and so forth, Nakasone, it's now the mainstream. And a much more dominant mainstream yeah, so with than the, ever. We, yeah, so the division, ideolo ideological division, which Japan ended in 1991. And the mainstreamers are became the mainstreamers are since then the realists. We did have Hatoyama. Hatoyama-san is not a realist. <laughs> <laughs> He's a dreamer. He's a dreamer. Yeah, it was a brief interlude in that yeah. march towards yes, realism. So that's Democrats. They are, that's not the LDP government. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about the LDP? Absolutely. Um, I mean, looking at Kishida-san today, his support rate is you know below forty percent in a lot of polls, um, and so people are speculating who might replace him. And um, uh, there's almost no one on the left of him. I know. Uh, he is himself within the LDP, what, center or center left. And yet he's the one pushing 2% of GDP defense spending, yeah, standoff strike. Yes. So the big debates are over in some ways. Now it's harder debates about how do you pay for it? Do you do taxes? What do you do about production of equipment and so forth? Um, so we just did this trilateral uh, two-day scenario exercise with... Um, very prominent American, Australian, Japanese, former officials like yourself. Um, one thing about realists, they like war games. They like scenario games. They like testing and, um, and understanding um, what the challenges are, where their capacity or, or diplomacy or defense strategy is insufficient. So had you done many games before um, in your career in Japan? I'm, maybe I'm the first director of foreign ministry who... who to try to do this in Japan, I, I asked Jim Pristap, the National University of the National Defense University, to come talk to help us. There's a disaster because we didn't know how to do <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. But now many simulation games are being held in Tokyo. What year was many, that? Many 1990s? No, today. today. No, no, but when you did talk to Jim Pristap and National Defense 20, University. 20 years ago in, in 1990s. Yeah, I, I ran a game for uh, the Pentagon at NDU in the late 1990s with Japan and Korea. And the, our goal was to reassure the Korean side that the new U.S.-Japan defense guidelines, mm. which covered a broader geographic yes. area, that it was a good thing for Korea, not a threat. And it worked really well because what happened was the Korean and Japanese teams had never done a game together. Mm. But also most of the foreign ministry people on the Japanese team and the civilians from defense agency, they'd never done a game. So when we did the trilateral game, the American and Korean team knew exactly what to do because they had joint and combined command. They had, they had O plans, con plans. They knew exactly what to do. It was almost boring because they'd gamed so often. This is 1998. The Japanese team had never really done a game together. So it was a disaster. They were completely unprepared. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So our goal, the U.S. goal, was to reassure the Koreans that defense guidelines with Japan were okay. And it worked really well because the Koreans came away and realized Japan was completely unprepared for a Korean contingency. And that left Korea vulnerable. So they, it actually helped when they realized that uh, Japan 
had a lot more work to do. Our game was US, Japan, Australia, um, remarkably um, aligned on objectives and assumptions and values and strategy. How, how important in Japan right now is Australia in grand strategy? Oh, when we made the first national security strategy, we discussed which one should come first, Korea or Australia. Even 10 years ago, Australia was a very important ally. Prime Minister Howard Abe-san in his first government, um, Bush, and we had trilateral. And that time, Australia is leading the discussions of this trilateral. At that time, we started to think, who are our true allies in the region? Korea is an important big nation now, a great nation, but the conservative government and leftist government, they flip-flop. But Australia is far away, but staunch ally of the United States. So if you have, we have only five allies in the region, Korea, Japan, and then Taiwan is no longer, but Thailand, Philippines, and Australia, who can be helpful. Yeah. And the answer is one, it's Australia. And since then, Australia is becoming more and more important, and still becoming more important. So it's been great having you. And um, I think that our scenario exercise pointed out the strong, really remarkably strong alignment of US, Japanese, and Australian strategic thinking. Um, now, uh, our public opinion polls show that actually at the study center, 74% of Australians want a treaty with Japan, security treaty. Um, so the public trusts Japan and Australia. And uh, what our game showed was that senior former officials from all three countries had a very natural alignment, but it also showed we have work to do in terms of security of information in Japan and so forth. So it, it was a great um, way to focus on the agenda for um, the US, uh, Australia, and Japan to build a trilateral partnership. There are many groupings, AUKUS, the Quad, uh, and so forth. But uh, the year I've been in Australia, I'm realizing that it's the US, Australia, Japan piece that's most important. And I know when I was in Washington, I always said US, Japan, Australia, but I'm in Sydney. <laughs> so it's US, Australia, Japan. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. As we wrap up, I'd like to point out a couple of other podcasts that may be of interest. Our CEO, Dr. Michael Green, is co-host of the Asia Chessboard podcast with Jude Blanchett, the Freeman Chair for China Studies at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I'd also recommend checking out our USSC Live podcast series that runs recordings from our major live events, including the panel discussions from the inaugural Sydney International Strategy Forum. You can find these on our website, ussc.edu.au, or wherever you get your podcasts.